This is Bragg, son of Balin, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle-earth. calls for aid and Brog shall answer ah the flames of Amandine are flaring welcome to light the beacons Lotro podcast focusing on the rock'em sock'em mmorpg lord of the rings online as well as related topics in books movies gaming and the lore of john ronald ruel tokeen this is episode number 28 and i'm your host brag of the lonely mountain bane of the plague lord and dwarf of ill repute I'm broadcasting live from temporary LTB Middle Earth-wide headquarters inside the Moria Geode. Yes, I'm actually inside the Geode itself, sitting comfortably on its jagged crystals and uh, observing the interplay of lights uh, as they bounce back and forth across the caverns of the Great Delving. Ah, what I wouldn't give to see the light of Arendil inside this thing and watch the light show. I think that would equal, if not exceed, one of old Gandalf's firework displays. So, looking around here, I am uh, just west of the Dolven View. And uh, I'm in a courtyard uh, of uh, kind of standard dwarven archways extending all around on three sides. And uh, actually three stories tall, arch upon arch upon arch. Although, interestingly enough, you can only reach the second level via stairs, and the third level appears to be unobtainable. Unless, of course, there's some kind of trap door in the Dolven View, which I'm sure is the case. Uh, but uh, this little courtyard is well lit from the light of the geode, as well as um, sits on a raised dais with uh, some crystal pillars standing around on one side or another. And actually, if you walk up on the platform that the geode is on, you can see that there's a kind of a compass that it sits upon. Uh, with dwarven runes uh, pointing out the different directions, I believe the characters indicate. If I could read dwarven, and I should be able to, since I'm a dwarf. Oh, look, a, a Moria goblin soldier. Die! See ya. Um, yeah, there's kind of a couple grod bags slithering around. There's some, uh, uh, of course, some uh, some deep claw hunters here and there, and uh, you know the cavern entrance is amazingly high up in the sky and as I look to the west I can just see uh, a line of pillars proceeding south southwards from Lamadome uh, which uh, leads to the entryway and the western hallways uh, but the uh, the pillars on either side of the um, the road leading from Lamadome have dwarves sitting on top of them holding uh, crystal lanterns dangling from their hands leading to the vault of Durin uh, just a little southwest of my location. So it's a beautiful sight here. Traffic through the near nearby major thoroughfare of Lamadoom is not quite what I expected just yet. Seems like some folks out there still think Moria's a dangerous place. <laughs> the very idea. It's silly, really. No idea why they'd think that. Oh, grad bag, kill him. Dead. 
giant insects everywhere. I'll clean up these caves if it's the last thing I ever do. No matter. Soon Mithril shall pour forth from the mines again. It will be the epicenter of Middle-earth as it was always meant to be. This time, we dwarves won't delve too greedily, nor too deep, mind you. Just a reasonable amount. Dwarves are nothing but reasonable when it comes to mining Mithril, as we all know. Well, uh, be that other way, uh, be that as it may, even, this is a suitable location for episode 28. So let's go ahead and light our second beacon. First, it's time for CRAP, Corrections, Retractions, and Apologies from last week. So looking through my notes, last episode we offended Blue Sorcerers, Twitch Streamers, Turbine Support, Twist Tongue Dwarves, Epic Questline Supporters, and elves. And to all of you, I must say a collective sorry. Uh, next, moving on to viewer comments. I uh, did want to note, observing the Twitter sphere this past week, that I received a, a song link from Acacia. Some of you may know Acacia. I believe she's the leader of the Shades, one of the, uh, the best bands in all of Lotro community. And Acacia posted a song link um, to a video she made out on YouTube to a recent... Uh, Recent creation of hers, uh, which is also available on SoundCloud under SoundCloud slash Acacia. And it's, uh, um, um, I would say, a sugary pop confection beckoning back to the 80s called Keep My Love Forever. And I found it very catchy and uh, quite a bit different from some of the music you might hear, hear playing within Lotro. Uh, shows the depth of her talents. I'd love to see that coming forth in the Lotro community. If you have not, if you have not checked it out, uh, take a listen. It's very catchy. Um, second, I did want to note uh, in Lotro Player News podcast this week that it was announced Brax Wolf would be moving on from the podcast following the recent footsteps of Draculetta, Ethelrose, and Sithrith in leaving, at least temporarily, taking a break, as he calls it, you might say. Uh, we all need to take a break every now and then to recharge the batteries. So I wanted to, uh, Braxwolf has been a supporter of the podcast from the beginning. Just wanted to say um, to him that uh, I hope it finds him re-energized to return at some point. And uh, certainly in the meantime, we continue to hear him on the TGN network uh, doing his uh, wonderful podcast, which is uh, Beyond Boss Fights. Um Certainly, we have uh, new hosts on LPN that have been filling in, including Terry Adwin, uh, The Maven, uh, Arathart, and others. Uh, cer certainly very knowledgeable and adding a breath of fresh air. And I, I got to tell you, so something that was missing before in some respects was that new player, um, that new player perspective uh, that, uh, you know, I, I always find, I, I always, I enjoy the game so much. I love to see new people coming to it and enjoying it just as much. So it's uh, it's good to see that LPN moving on strongly with new hosts and new energy. And uh, although I have to take offense, I think it was a week and a half ago, the podcast focused on a skirmish battle where they discussed Goblin Town and even started talking about the song Down Down to Goblin Town. Now, you guys may know that I covered Goblin Town extensively in uh, You Go My Lad, which was, uh, I think, either last episode or two episodes ago. I can't be troubled with this record-keeping stuff. Grima, keep the records. But uh, in any event, uh, another Light the Beacons ripoff. <clears throat> uh, I'm usually in the wake of the news, but right now it's waking me. So, 
In this week's episode, we are going to talk a little bit about what we've been doing in game these past few weeks. We're going to preview another in our series of top 10 lists, this one concerning rejected racial traits in the game. We're going to catalog some of the quest categories in Lotro and talk about the pros and cons of the various types of quests that we execute so readily in game. And lastly, if there's any time remaining, we will uh, insert Grima into the Moria G Road and roll him down into the Palace of Nain like a giant bowling ball. What could possibly go wrong? So with that, let's move on to our third beacon. Vavoom. Third Beacon Nardwall, this week in gaming and other Tolkien news. So what other games have been playing? Actually, not much myself, but I do have to say that I've been uh, following the exploits of some of the baby hobbits in the household who are taking advantage of Portal 1 and Portal 2 that I procured in a recent Steam sale a couple months back, I think, uh, for a bargain price. Um, I think I got both of them for $4.99 or something along those lines. Uh, Portal 1 is... Um, as I understand it, is a game that Steam created kind of as a lark uh, to fit in with a little mini bundle. It was just a couple hours of entertainment um, amongst a group of four or five other games that they created. But it proved to be so popular, um, you know, far outstripping the others that it was bundled with, that uh, they went ahead and created um, kind of a major game title around it for Portal 2. And um, this is... Uh, Portal 2 is maybe the first major game title I can remember some of my baby hobbits finishing before I did. And it's kind of exciting to see them, uh, you know, proceeding through some of the puzzles and challenges and uh, becoming quite adept at the controls. Uh, Portal 1 and Portal 2 are games, uh, I haven't even played them yet, and I can already tell I'm going to recommend them because um, they feature a couple different things I love. First of all, um, the 3D game space is very engaging. Uh, the controls are very responsive and the environments are interesting. Um, dystopian futures always catch my fancy. And uh, the, so the puzzles are very engaging. And secondly, there's a sarcastic and dry humor that goes with the, uh, the voiceovers attached to the game that are just amazing. Just extremely well done, very entertaining. And, you know, I find myself watching and, and listening to the... Uh, to the soundtrack of the game just uh, just for fun. And um, I'm excited to move forward and try it myself. It could be one of my next conquests. Now that they've finished it, I can go back and uh, I might actually have to play this now based on what I've observed. Um, and I'm you know finally started to understand all the geek nerd references to Aperture and Portal that are out there uh, that you can find on the interwebs with various merchandising and so forth. Um, Although I have to say, when you're watching someone else play uh, and jump back and forth through the portals and uh, defy gravity and bounce here and, and there, it, it's very hard to follow if you're not the one controlling because you, you kind of don't understand where you're jumping to the way you do if you're driving. <laughs> so, uh, again, very dizzying to watch someone else play the game, but, uh, but uh, you know, very interesting premise that has uh, you know, a lot of opportunity for interesting puzzle design. And the NPC dialogue is hilarious, as I mentioned. So going to give that a shot, I think, in the coming weeks. And as I do, I'll let you know what I think. So let's move on to Lotro. Twitch streams. Um, I can't remember if I've watched one of these in the last two weeks since I talked to you last. Maybe part of one by Erethert, where he was uh, leveling his runekeeper. Um, you know, not, nothing new to comment in this area except I continue to follow it when I can, and uh, I think it's it is encouraging and engaging good parts of the community. 
So Bragg, my main guardian, has been cranking away on his skirmisher of Middle-Earth title. I probably ran, I don't know, maybe 10 skirms in the last two weeks at least. Uh, mostly solo, uh, running mostly on Tier 3, sometimes Tier 2. And the only reason I drop down to Tier 2 occasionally is not because Bragg can't handle Tier 3 on all the skirms that are out there. But, um, but uh, you know, when you're trying to go for the encounters and... Uh, in tier three, the encounters can run 100k morale or more, and um, it's just a pain to burn them down. <laughs> it just takes longer. And to tell you the truth, um, tier three rewards have been somewhat underwhelming. So, you know, I do it for challenge, but I don't do it for reward when I'm doing tier three. You know, I, I got to think that the drop rate for higher end rewards coming from skirms is higher on tier three, but I just haven't seen it. Uh, it's been probably months since I've seen a crystal drop in a skirmish at all, any tier. And it gets kind of boring just earning, uh, you know, a random relic and some, uh, you know, some bounty gold and some marks and medallions. And that's about it. Skirm after skirm after skirm. You know, I, I really, you know, unless you're running a multiplayer skirm where you can get rewards, um, the rewards for the lower end skirms are very boring. I really think this is something Turbine needs to address to either increase drop rate or add some variety. Um, you know, they could link a more interesting loot table into some of these things just to occasionally get something out of it that uh, that would be more engaging, and I think it would incent people to run the skirms more on a solo basis. You know, I know the rewards for solo skirm should not be good in general, um, you know, skirm to skirm, but every once in a while, got to think you get something. Um you know, no crystal drops probably in the last six months for me running skirms, which is gets kind of boring. So in any event, um, I finished the last encounter I needed on the icy crevasse. That one is done for now. Uh, the 21st hall, the Frost Drake, what's his name, Lachanarth or something like that in the Chamber of Marzable finally got iced. So one one encounter left on the 21st hall. Uh, two remaining in the deep way. Uh, one in Gondaman of all places, believe it or not. And there's only five encounters in that whole instance. I guess I haven't run them as much recently. And then lastly, one in Thanglehad. Uh, just yesterday, I finally got uh, Azri. Uh, one of the encounters that you have to trigger by refiring a catapult before you're done with that wave in order to lure him in. And the last one, Ruin Throw of All, is uh, some kind of drake, I think, that circles the tower and lands on the backside. And I've heard uh, Thanglehad can be tricky for encounters, but I've heard this is the one of the ones that will sit there and wait for you until you get a pause um, before the end boss fight. And then you can go track him down and not have to worry about engaging him before he wanders away. So that leaves one, two, three, four, five encounters left for the Skirmisher of Middle-Earth title. Looking forward to icing that one at some point soon. Hopefully by the next time you hear from me. On my Bjorning, he is now level 61. And I felt incumbent to upgrade my weapon. Um, had not done so since I'd first received my first legendary items in Moria. Uh, so those were getting quite a bit behind the times as far as damage output was concerned. So um, I went ahead and traded in. Six tokens I had on my main to get a first age 60, one-handed, uh, I think it's either an axe or a club. And um, I was originally considering a two-handed club because uh, I thought it would be fun to experiment with that as, uh, as a Bjorning for a few levels at least. 
And, but I, when I went to the vendors in the 21st hall that hand those out for the coins of Nimrodel, I found that the two-handed club that cost six coins uh, was actually only level 59. So I actually uh, submitted a bug report, which is something that I, I do occasionally, but not very often, uh, to let them know that that was uh, mislabeled uh, from that vendor. And I ended up just getting a, a one-handed club in the meantime. Now I have to cycle through my tunes and see if any of the other ones have six coins of Nimrodel. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, the best I have anywhere is maybe three or four, and I might have to grind one or two turtles or a watcher run in order to get uh, Bjorning carving that's uh, appropriate at this level as well. Um, you know, maybe it's time for the plug-in that lets you see inventory across all characters. I'm trying to remember what it's called, uh, whether it's buff bars or tonic bars or one of the other ones. Um, you know, I just I hate when all the plug-ins stop working and you have to figure out what broke and went wrong. I think one of the upgrades recently, all my plug-ins stopped loading and I just didn't bother loading it and then I just didn't miss them so I didn't bother reloading them again. There are some that are occasionally interesting, you know, fun to have. I think the music one is the most interesting one that I use typically. And, uh, you know, I used to have a pet carousel for my LM, but now that you have multiple skill bars available to spread those across, that's not really a big deal anymore. Um, you know, the travel one for your hunter, but again, you know, I think the multiple skill bars kind of solved a lot of those issues. And I don't use any of the combat ones. Um, yeah, the combat parsing stuff is interesting, but never been into min-maxing, so. But uh, I think it would be valuable to be able to see inventory across all characters, so I might have to bite the bullet and figure out what's wrong with my uh, my plugins and get those rolling again. So um, Björning also completed the dual instances in the epic that take place in the throne room of Rush Durinal to capture Mazog. Um and I got to say, so there's there's the entryway that you use, you know, to get from the you know the gardens near Jazzergund, all the way down, uh, you know, the secret the secret uh, workroom of the stone carver or whatever his name is, Melkor, um, in order to get into the the secret entrance of Rushdurinol. There's this great hallway that you enter, and the whole wall is carved out in like uh, you know these falling waterfalls that kind of cascade down across these buildings, and then you get in the throne room and it's kind of an epic space. You see it, you see it, uh, you know, twice in the game. You see it obviously when you're capturing Mazog and escaping with Mazog, and then, but there's also a flashback in the um, in the original Moria session play where the elven um, the elven delegate from Mirkwood comes to visit. Or I'm sorry, from Lorien comes to visit, and uh, and uh, you end up taking them down into the foundations of stone where the Durin's Bane is uncovered. So it's a beautiful, huge space in the game, and I believe it's only available in those instances. Now I'd kick myself if I was wrong on this. If there was a doorway somewhere near Zagrathurl in uh, Nelamelek where you could get into these spaces, but I'm I'm almost positive they're only instanced, and it seems like kind of a waste. Um, not sure why they would build them all out and then not link them into a doorway in the game that you could go explore. I guess it didn't serve the story well, unfortunately. So uh, now I am right at the cusp of moving onward to the Lumulnar and uh, Naladum instances, which are the Moria Lothlorien three mans. 
And, uh, you know, I'll probably put a call out to see if anyone wants to three-man those, but I'd imagine it's it's difficult to find those. I'll probably end up soloing them over the next week or two. I am getting the itch, um, level 61, f- do some hollow crafting runs with my Bjorning. It's always been one of my favorite instances around that level. Um, just think it's uh, a great design, um, you know, fantastic space, interesting fights. The boss fights are, you know, don't take... Don't take ridiculous coordination, but there's still some things you have to watch out for if you're near level or on level to get by them. There's some good deeds in there you can clean up. And, of course, uh, working on a tune whose primary stat is Might, there's the miniature brass anvil uh, at the end of that instance that sure would look nice on a Bjorning for a few levels. Uh, Might even um, take out, if if I ever pick that up, take out my uh, XP bonus pocket item uh, for a while course it's a pipe dream i ran that instance i probably 30 40 50 times with my guard and never saw a whiff of it except for the one time when it was picked up by a lore master very nicely of him thank you appreciate that still to this day i'm not bitter not at all uh my minstrel ran a six-man storm on methodris and uh was in healing mode for that uh she had plenty of zip for a six-man skirmish run, and we sailed through it, so felt good to be healing again. It'd been a time since I'd done some healing on her. Blah rewards on the skirmish again, though. Again, same complaint. My Cappy, after pushing through Central Gondor, is now laying fallow for a while. On my lore master, he completed the Ringlow Vale quest line and moved on to Lanier. Uh, he's starting... You know, I started, I feel like I needed a change after pushing three tunes through Central Gondor. So my LM, I'm now gone back and I'm actually running uh, some of the Dal Amroth dailies in the library um, in order to uh, attain gold tokens for essence gear out of Dal Amroth. And, um, you know, what I'm doing as I go through the, the daily training run and clearing out the library is I'm, I'm practicing the red line mode for the LM, which is one that I haven't really used. Um, I've used the Ancient Master for grouping, and I've used the, um, you know, basically the blue or pet line uh, for soloing. I found it very hardy, actually, and, and uh, kind of fun. Uh, but I am missing, <laughs> now that I look at it, some of the skills in the red line are pretty awe-inspiring. There's um, two in particular. There's, of course, the Ring of Fire, and then there's the Triple Lightning Strike skill that has a you know, two-minute cooldown or whatever on it. And between those two, if you can get both those skills off, you know, you can bring down uh, you know, 30k mobs with basically two skills and a, and a group of them at that. It's quite a one-two punch, so that's kind of fun. <laughs> um, but I have to say that the the red line LM is squishy. It's squishier than the uh, than the pet line, where you know the pet's drawing all the aggro for you and has a lot of buffs and and is very hardy. And uh, you know if the if my one-two punch is out and I get a bunch of wanderers on on my red line LM, he is burning down pretty quickly. So. Uh, yeah, I was founding, uh, finding going through the, the library instance for the training run, I was averaging maybe one to two deaths per run, unless I was really careful. And being really careful is a little little boring. You know, there's basically in that open courtyard, if you need one of the quests that's out in the courtyard so you can't just run through all those mobs, um, you know, they're, you know, half of them are kind of linked together. So you draw one guy and all of a sudden you've got six guys on you and you're dead. <laughs> So I spent a bunch of the tokens I had outstanding and graded four of my armor pieces to essence gear for my LM. 
And uh, yeah, it's a lot easier than earning the Dol Amroth um, daily uh, armor set bonus. The armor set that goes with the, the Dol Amroth dailies uh, that have set bonuses. Uh, I think the set bonus for the LM is uh, two pieces gets you 3% on your water lore and four pieces gets you another 5% tactical crit or tactical mastery, which is nice, but it's, you know, I can't see grinding all the different quests and all the DA dailies in order to get that set. So so what I think I've settled on is to pick up four essence um, pieces. I've got one more to go uh, to finish that. And... Um, then I think I might go for two of the armor set pieces for uh, in order to get the water lower uh, upgrade uh, set bonus, and not have to grind out the the additional you know the additional gold tokens. So um, you know three percent on water lore doesn't sound like a heck of a lot, but water lore is a skill that you're typically spamming a lot, so it's not great, but it's not terrible given how much you use it. Um, so anyway, I, f I find that interesting and a good way to get used to the red line in LM. Interestingly enough, LM is the only class so far where I've purchased an extra trait line slot so that I can have all three lines readily available. Um, there aren't too many other classes where I've found you know, I'm that interested in the third line. Two is usually enough, but uh, I thought the LM was interesting enough that I might want to have it, and I had the points built up from just you know monthly allowance for lifetime account. So... So I've got all three of those traded out, and um, the red line can be fun occasionally. Boy, you can you can do some serious damage <laughs> as long as you don't get killed. Um, so I was going to spend. I've got a ton of dollar Amroth silver coins from all these runs now, and I was going to spend them on essence scroll uh, essence recipes. Until I realized my LM was not Dull Amroth Kindred, uh, which is needed to purchase those. So, not even close. Oh, well. Them's the breaks. Okay, so lastly, um, Hunter, RK, Warden, Champ, Nerp. But I took my burglar through the Entwash Vale, continuing some of the activity I had from, from last time out. And... Uh, I, I kind of certainly helped having the burglar in, um, if, if you remember, the Bergenstau caves that have the drow blog, I think they're called. Um, you know, there's that instance where you pick up the quests outside the cave and it draws you in and you have to go down until you find kind of subterranean lair, including kind of a, you know, a warping, a warping portal to the underworld that they're that they're moving through. And uh, it was pretty handy to have a Berg in that instance and be able to sneak all the way to the end of the caves once I'd finished all the preliminary quests and just finished off the boss. Um, that's what having Bergs is good for. Uh, I also fought through the Orc camps in Fangorn, met an Ent, headed back to Yoworth to meet up with Yomer uh, for the epic quest line. He's going to take us out across the plains pretty soon. Uh, Nona just split. Maybe missed those guys a bit. Nona and Horn haven't seen them in a while. Uh, I think we'll probably see them in Minas Tirith in the midst of battle in the Pelnor fields, if not before. But I can't imagine how they'd work the story in to have it happen before. So I'm guessing we won't see them in as Gilead in the upcoming release, uh, which means uh, perhaps we'll see them at Minas Tirith or in the battle of the Pelnor fields late this year. One thing I've noticed is that there's very few new characters in Gondor that have had the same impact of, you know, companions that you've been with for some time, like you had in Volume 2 with, uh, you know, with the elves, uh, Sigileth and Bori and Broin and all those guys. 
And then in Volume 3, where you met up with uh, Kuranir and Nona and Horn, and quite had, had quite a few interactions with them, which allowed you to develop a story. You know, I'd say really in Western Gondor, the, really, the only NPC that's had that same kind of impact um, is Jajax. Uh, I thought he was a great character, but, uh, you know, now he's gone. So I hope we meet some more interesting folks along the way to carry us through Volume 4 um, as the story progresses to Minas Tirith. Because right now, you know, aside from following Aragorn and helping out the Rangers... There's really not too many more folks that I'm that invested in in the epic story right now. All right, that's enough about what I've been doing in game. Let's move on to our next beacon. Here we have arrived at Aralas. And for Aralas this week, we've got our new top 10 list. The top 10 rejected racial skill ideas from Turbine. The top 10 rejected racial skill ideas in Lotro. Here we go. Number 10, mentioned previously on the podcast, the Bjorning Bearskin Rug skill, which is an aggro drop. Number 9, Hobbit's Stoop for a Poop skill, enough said. Number 8, Elves Eldar's Mace, a pepper spray ranged attack. Number 7, the Dwarven Keg Damage Bonus, increases duration of Muddled Your Wits debuff indefinitely until knocked, stunned, mezzed, or knocked down. Number 6, the Human's Strength of Man's Armpits attack. Number five, the Elves' Sylvan Wardrobe, which opens up an extra wardrobe slot for cosmetics for Mr. Prissy Pants. Number four, the Bjorning's Mix-A-Lot Honey Cake Shuffle skill, plus 75% of aid for 10 seconds. Number three, the Human's Man of the Third Age skill, not the Fourth Age, the Third Age skill, allows you to draw upon the strength of Denethor in times of need for minus 70 hope. Number two, the Dwarven's Shield Baller, Though they try to hide it, dwarves' feelings are easily hurt. Verbal attacks against them cause damage over time on the inside. And the number one top ten rejected racial skill. The Hobbits return to Waffle House racial port. Mmm, yummy. Return to Waffle House. (laughs) I cracked myself up. Speaking of that, let's go too far. Now a word from our sponsors. Minrimon. Hello, I'm Hugo Broadbelt, and I have a message for all of my dwarf buddies out there. When getting together with lanky elf and human friends in a fellowship or raid, it's normal that a dwarf can suffer from feelings of inadequacy. The feeling that, due to physical limitations, you're not doing your part or being all you can to take down the boss. Well, now you can be the boss with new EFD, Extends for Dwarves. Listen, I've traveled from Erebor to Eridluin, and everywhere I go, I get the same questions from Dwarves. Does EFD really work? And my answer is, it works for me. Most Dwarves want to be the biggest and best at everything. Isn't that why we grind so hard for every advantage we can get in the game? So if you want that min-max performance edge every day, I say buff up with EFD and add new meaning to having Endurance of Stone. If you call now, we'll send you a discreetly wrapped Hobbit present with a one-week supply for free. So what are you waiting for? It's pay to win with EFD. Extends for Dwarves. I'm sorry, I need a minute. (laughs) 
All right. It's suggestive, but, you know, I, I'm trying to maintain my podcast rating, so that's as far as I've gone. I think it's far enough. Uh, let's move on to our next beacon. Callan Had. Callan Had. In this week in Callan Had, for our main topic, we're going to talk a little bit about the different variety of quests that are available in the game, the different categories of quests, the different quest types that we run into, and what are some of the pros and cons of each. In general, what I find is that with each new content update, variety equals goodness. And hopefully, from a development perspective, a good mix of quests is planned whenever content builders are coordinating a new area. So let's go through some of the different quest types this is generally in order of my level of interest. Uh, not exactly, but generally speaking. So first, kill stuff. <laughs> the number one quest type probably in all of Lotro. Uh, what's good about killing stuff? Well, you know, this is an MMO. We need a, a good mix of killing now and then. You got to mix in some killing. You need some terminating, some destruction, some general mayhem, some bloodshed. It's part of part of the whole draw. I mean, it just is. Uh, what's bad about killing stuff? Well, you need to f find the right balance in the number of mobs that are required to fulfill a kill deed, uh, you know, based on the landscape and that you're in and how uh, the spawn rates and how available they are to find, how easy they are to, to burn down, how much of a pain they are if they're stunning you left and the right, all those types of things. Um, you know, if they're, if it's a heavy morale mob, like a troll or something like that, you don't want to have to kill 25 trolls, right? You've got, you've got to scale it to the challenge so that it doesn't get boring. Um, you know, part of that is, you know, there's going out, there's finding them, there's killing them, there's coming back, they're turning in the quest. And if it's, if it's just going out and killing and killing and killing and killing, you're going to get bored pretty quick. So you need an overall quest mix in the area where you're doing some killing, some collecting, and maybe hopefully some other things. Um, and of course, the kill quest can be more fun in an engaging or challenging environment uh, rather than something that's a uh, face roll. That brings us to the second quest type, gathering. Uh, go find these 10 plants. Go find these 8 boards. Go find these... Uh, six barrels. Good. Um, what's good about a gathering quest? Well, it can encourage exploration. And, uh, you know, I love exploration when the environment's good. When you've got a good landscape to play in uh, or to go in search of these goods, um, then the gather quests can be okay. But um, they can also get old as well quickly, too. Uh, some of the things that can be bad about them, if it's uh, if you have to get off your mount every time that you're gathering something, you know they fix that in Ravanian, but area door is still an issue. If you got to get if the things are spread far apart and you have to get off your mount every time you collect one, that can be kind of blah. Uh, collecting can be a little monotonous. Uh, sometimes I think the animation for selecting an item could be a little bit quicker. What if as soon as you clicked on it, it would register and you wouldn't have to kneel down and have like a two second delay? I think there's a reason for that, so that you can't just sneak in and click on something when a mob's attacking you. But, you know, if you're in combat, you shouldn't be able to do that anyway. Uh, what else is bad? Well, don't make us collect nails. <laughs> something that's so hard to see hidden in the landscape that, you know, it's almost impossible. You've got to use keys to find, you know, close nearby stuff in order to select it and pick it up. Um, you know, having a few more 
of the item, then the exact number that you need can help too. So say if you need eight of something, there's 10 in the landscape, so you don't have to find every last one, or if one is hidden or is, uh, you know, is uh, not evident or is, you know, do you have to double back for it, then you've got options and it makes it a little easier. So I think that helps too. So everyone knows kill and gather quests. The two probably, probably the two most prominent quest types in the game and the most common, you know, whether it's fortunate or unfortunate, the reason, I think, is because they're the likely easiest to program. Um, you know, you've got to generate content for new areas, and uh, you've got to get a certain number of quests in order to get enough XP to level and to have people progress through the areas. And unfortunately, that means that you've got to fill out you know, a good number of the quests using the most basic types, uh, which are kill and gather. So somewhat of a necessary evil, but can be okay as long as you've got lots of other good stuff mixed in. Like what other stuff? Well, the third quest type I'm going to talk about today is fetching and carrying, or a FedEx quest. Um, so fetching uh, can be a little different from carrying. Uh, fetching is when they tell you, go get this and bring it back to me. And when you get it, it's either in your inventory or the quest advances so that you can just hand it in when you get back. A carry quest uh, implies that when you grab the object, you're actually animated holding it, and you're not allowed to do anything else until you return it to the quest giver. Um, for example, uh, the quest to carry Goldberry's water to Adso's camp. So what's good about a fetch uh, or carry quest? Well, I think you get to see the landscapes um, you know, on an intimate level because you're running through them uh, doing the quest. Um, you know, makes makes the best use of some of the locations in the world that you wouldn't get to otherwise or that you'd be racing through. So it's kind of a stop and smell the daisies moment when, um, when you're running back and forth. Um, it promotes you know, movement, dynamic engagement, kind of connecting different areas of the game. And uh, you know, it's a change of pace from killing and gathering. But what's bad about them? Well, when they're used, uh, when they're overused, they can be cumbersome. Uh, for example, a FedEx quest back and forth between Delacid and Elrond, Elrond and Delacid, and maybe Ken Kendaleth thrown in, and then Elrond and then Delacid. Um, that can be a pain. Uh, so you know, I think when you're doing something like an epic quest line that's coming out, you know, months apart each chapter and volume, you have to go back and look at the quest you're making someone do recently, so that you can see the context that you're putting the new quest in, and say, you know what, there's a few too many of these. Let's streamline. And I think they've addressed that in the game in certain areas by, you know, having you insta-port to, um, you know, providing quick travel animals and things of that nature to try to make it a little easier. Um, also, if you're doing a fetch-carry quest and you get disrupted or run out of time and you have to start over, those can be kind of annoying. Sometimes these, these events are timed. Um, I do often find that speed, speed boost helps with these. Um, so if it's a quest that allows speed, boof, speed buffs, either with food um, or lots of cases, what I've found is um, if, you, if you have a speed buff on your character and you hit it right before you pick up an object, then you know, normally you can't hit the speed buff after you're carrying the object, but if you hit your speed buff just before you pick it up, then you might have most of your speed buff still alive while you're carrying the object. You know, for example, when you go to Winter Home and you have to pick up a barrel of beer, if you hit your speed buff and then pick up the barrel, then you can run double fast with the barrel as opposed to uh, the other way around. And that can be helpful. Um, next quest type, finding. Finding stuff. Uh, you know, particular a static NPC or a roaming mob. 
So this can include bounty quests, um, for example, that you can find like in Ostfarad, Esteldin, uh, even had them in Kalimbel recently in uh, Western Gondor. And to some extent, a roaming threat is uh, you know a find quest to some degree. Um, the NPC you're trying to find can be static or it can be a roaming mob. For example, killing the three generals in Doldinen in the North Downs. Um, I always find those interesting. You know, they're on your radar. Um, you, if you've done them before, you kind of know where they're pathing. But if not, you've got to search around the area. It's not exact. And often, uh, sometimes they'll take the, uh, the quest arrow away once you're in the area. So, you know, the last part is a bit of discovery, figuring out where he is and how he's pathing and how you can get to him without uh, pulling a bunch of other people around him at the same time since he's, you know, generally going to be an elite of some kind. So, so I like these kinds of quests. Um, you know, they promote the use of hunter tracking skills. It's always, you know, nice to have an advantage based on your class or even compasses that you've gotten through Hobbit Presence or the store. Um, you know, there's kind of a dynamic engagement with the environment. There's an element of complexity in the search. Uh, where the mob is found can add challenge if it's pathing through large groups that you need to avoid and uh, helps practice navigation. So those are all good things around find quests. Uh, the bad is spawn rates. Um, you know, if other people are doing it and you kill a guy, it could be a wait before he comes up and you're not even sure if he's up or if he's just pathing in a different area. That can be a little frustrating. Next quest type, uh, tutorials. So uh, how, teaching how to use in-game functionality, for example. Um, you know, in the beginner or prologue, typically there's a quest to configure your class trait panels for the first time and add skills and so forth, so it knows you know how to do that. Uh, when Legendary Items premiere, there's tutorial quests to go to Forge and Relic Masters and slot relics and do things of that nature. Um, there's tutorials, obviously, for big battles, uh, for skirmishes, uh, at level 20, even for hobbies. I think uh, for fishing, there's... Um, some some tutorial quests involved and learning how to do some of those things. So these are good it, that they can be helpful for learning. Um, often they don't have a lot of experience associated with them and they can be kind of a time sink. We, we could use more of these I think in some areas of the game to better explain functionality uh, you know in a more instructive way or intuitive way. But they can be bad if there's you know if it's a lot of effort to develop for maybe a one-time use uh, per player potentially. Um, and for folks that are pathing through alts or have been playing the game for a long time, we definitely need options to skip these. You know, now that I've been through the skirmish tutorial nine times, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like the option not to have to do it again, uh, you know, if I've done it on another tune. So something to keep in mind. Uh, next quest type, performing an emote either to an NPC or in a specific location. So examples of this might include something like uh, kneeling to Gwyndeth in Even Dim to show respect to the Blue Lady, singing to the trees in Lorien, encouraging soldiers at Helm's Dyke to find their courage. Um, so I like these quests. They're good. They're clever. You know, there's so many emotes available in the game. It's good to remind players of those that are out there and to have them interacting with the environment in a way besides combat. It can be good for role playing. Uh, you know, allows interactions beyond combat, like I said. Uh, the bad part is sometimes they can be a little buggy. <laughs> you know, we all know some of the quests that we had interacting with daily Hitbolt uh, folks that were broken at times, trying to do emotes and trigger, trigger reactions. Um, and I also think when they put in 
the click panel next to the quests to trigger the emote rather than having you type it in or select it from the emote menu. Yeah, it made it way easier, but it really dumbed it down considerably to the point that it's almost a little more boring to be able to, to have to do it that way. So it is convenient, but it's it's one of those things where I thought the convenience kind of maybe oversimplified it. So um, I don't know. A lot of you guys out there may like that option. It certainly speeds things along. But emote quests, good. Uh, next, emote quests are quests related to hobbies, i.e. fishing, since it's the only hobby out there. So again, the good part is it's a change of pace, right, <laughs> from combat or gathering. And it keeps the hobbies relevant uh, in the game. The fact that there are occasionally quests where you have to go out and fish, um, you know, keeps the hobbies relevant in the game, which is good. Remind people that they're there, that that dimension of the game exists, and for those that like fishing, obviously, it's all good. The bad part is it's a very focused audience. I know tons of people that don't like fishing at all or are bored with fishing or don't like quests involving fishing. Um, you know, there's plenty of people who hate fishing but that may have no choice in order to do, you know, Dahl Emeroth dailies on the docks. You're going to have to do a healthy dose of fishing on a regular basis. Um, if you want to earn reputation in Dora Neal, uh, you're going to be, you know, fishing pike out of the peller gear um, on a daily basis. So for folks who don't like fishing, that could be quite a drag. And in the past, we've had a number of fishing quests that were somewhat buggy and that we've had problems with. So, you know, they've got to make sure they spend a little extra time QAing those uh, to make sure they're solid. All right, the next quest type, hobby-related. Um... So I say hobby-related. There's only one hobby, and that's fishing. But there, there are some things that the devs have been doing the last couple content updates to try to experiment with new types or new twists on hobbies or new ways to interact with the environment in order to generate new quest types. So what do I mean by that? What, one example is um, you may remember the dailies out of Wildermore featured um, a quest to go and, and throw nets down on fish and catch fish. And that had a new way to interact with the environment, especially horseback, where you could basically click on the ground and expand, expand the size of the net you were casting and kind of move it around and shape it over an area to try to get the most fish from that cast. And that was a new tech, basically, that they were experimenting with. That was a new quest type. Hadn't seen it before. It was a, it was a little gimmicky. I wouldn't say it was, you know, terribly engaging. But what I like to see is that they were experimenting with new things. Uh, that they realize that they need to continue to generate new types of quests, new ways to interact with the environment to keep things fresh for players. Uh, the other one that comes to mind is maybe unfortunate. It, it premiered about the same time. Uh, one uh, one content update in the game, we got auto-looting, and then you know one later, we had the ability to search corpses for stuff after we killed them in order to fulfill quest objectives. You know, For example, there's one in um, in Central Gondor where... Uh, you know, you burn down the orcs of a camp north of uh, Lin here, and whenever one's killed, you have to click on him and search him for orders until you find orc orders or something along those lines. And, you know, hello, we have auto-looting. <laughs> so it is a bit of a pain to have to go back and search corpses after they introduced auto-looting. It seems kind of uh, maybe, uh, you know, a bit, uh, bit of an oxymoron somehow, but... Um, but, you know, it, it is variety. I think, you know, if if the auto-looting had come first and then they premiered, uh, and we were used to that, and they premiered later for certain quests that you need to search corpses, we probably probably wouldn't have bothered it as much 
um, as uh, you know when they were just kind of stacked on top of each other. Um, so again, different mechanics uh, equals variety equals positive. All right, maybe uh, some people's favorites and some people's least favorite quest types. The escort quest. What are some examples of this? Uh, Sarah Oakhart. Oh my goodness gracious. Layla. Oh my goodness gracious. Uh, the pig in the Shire. What's his name? Bessie or something like that. That one's a little more fun. And of course, the best escort quest in all of Lotro. You guys know it. Come on. Build a pony. Out of a region. Brilliant. Um, I do that on every tune when I go through. Some of these other ones might avoid. Uh, some of them are somewhat uh, scan um, notorious, shall we say. But escort quests, I, I, I do think, add value to the game. They add variety to the game. Um, there's a variation of escort quests, which they Lotro seems to be focusing on the last few content releases, where a summoned escort, you, you have a summoned escort that uh, quests with you as you move through an area. And if you hit a locale where a you know remote quest is bestowed, then that uh, that companion or escort will you know have a ring spring over his head, and you can get the quest from that area. So some examples of that: the um, the Fangorn Hewhorns that you travel through Fangorn with, uh, and when you get to a quest area, a ring pops up, and and you get kind of remote questing. Uh, Jjax has a number of quests that you do with him in one of the orc camps in this manner. Um, this originally premiered in Dunland with the ranger that uh, you meet on the way to the Gravenwood. And, you know, part of the problem with that, well, I'll talk about the problems when we get to the bad soon. So, so the good part of escort quests, well, if the folks are fighting, which in some cases they will, in some cases they won't, uh, depending on the nature of the NPC, um, it can allow you to take on more mobs as part of the fight, so that can be a, a bit more epic or, you know, there's, there's a dynamic uh, in the quest where you have to watch your partner's morale, um, you know, maybe heal them occasionally or aggro mobs off of them to try to keep them from dying as appropriate. You need to mind their progress so you don't get too far ahead of them or too far behind them. Um, so, you know, there's complexity. Uh, you know, the, the escort quest can be either offensive or rescue related. So you, you press into a town and take an objective with your companion or or you, um, you know, go into an area and find them and help them get out before they're, before they're trapped. So the bad part of escort quests is I think I find it um, that uh, sometimes it's hard to balance so that it's not too easy and not too hard. Um, you know, part of the hard part comes in and maybe keeping the escort alive. You know, one example of that is the Gates of Karn Doom instance with uh, L'Oreal, uh, Lorneal, as she approaches the Gates of Karn Doom, and and um, you know, there's Hornblowers and there's trolls that summon Urix, and uh, you know, if you're not a good class to suck aggro off or to super burn down AOE, uh, you know, large groups of mobs, then you can easily have Lorneal pass and uh, need to start over. Um, a summoned escort item can clog up your inventory. So sometimes you're given an acorn that you got to click on or a horn to summon your companion. And uh, if you don't finish all the quests in the area, it kind of sits in your inventory and clogs it up. And it's kind of a hassle. And you're like, well, I don't know if I'm going to finish those. I might. Um, guess what? You're probably not going to get rid of it. <laughs> uh, and lastly, finding all the remotely bestowed quests to trigger them can be a hassle. You guys may remember, you know, I had to go out to the forums to find the last one or two quest areas to trigger in the Gravenwood. 
Um, you know, they generally don't have quest arrows pointing you exactly where you need to be or, you know, the area where you got to find it is small or kind of very particular um, in order to get the quest triggered. That can be a bit of a hassle. All right, next one. Uh, take a slig of ale here. There are drinking quests in the game. I'll put those under the uh, category of emotes, I guess. Or maybe a hobby in my occasion. Um, so, uh, one of my more appreciated quest types is the quest item drop or landscape find. So, what's an example of this? Um, I was just questing in the waterworks in Moria the other day and was up by the, the Crystal Palace and I found a brooch lying in amongst the spider webs just sitting there and as I clicked on it a uh, quest popped up to said um, you know see if you can find someone nearby that uh, you know might know who owns this piece of jewelry and uh, another one for example if you're moving through the North Downs and you start killing some wargs in Daldinen uh, you'll get a drop of uh, of a collar that you need to f that triggers a quest called collar for the king which you can only fulfill if you run the Fornost instance um, as you move west of Ashad Candeleth and the Trollshaws, there's a barrel of pipeweed you can find along the side of the road, and it triggers a quest to find someone who knows something about pipeweed that might be able to explain to you what this is, uh, which is a fun one, obviously, that culminates in finding some of the hobbits over in Rivendell. And one of the first ones in the game that you might find, if you're in the Lone Lands around Weathertop and start killing orcs, you might find a pendant which you need to return to its owner, which I think turns out to be one of the uh, one of the gentlemen that's interred at uh, one of the orc camps. So these quests are good. Um, there's stuff that you get in your bag that's actually interesting. <laughs> and there's usually a mystery involved in figuring out, you know, who owns it or what it is or how it interacts with the environment. Um, and I find those uh, I find those usually entertaining and interesting. The bad part is Auto-looting can mess this up. <laughs> um, I'm not sure they've solved this problem exactly yet, but uh, often some of these find quest items, if you, if you, um, if the, basically every mob you kill will give you one until you trigger it to find the quest. So if if you if you have auto-looting uh, turned on, uh, you can open up your your um, your temporary holding bag and find like 60 collars for the king sitting there, <laughs> and you got to go through and delete 59 of them and just trigger the quest with the one. Uh, so that can be, uh, you know, a little bit of a pain in the neck. And uh, sometimes those items, if it's not convenient to turn them in, can sit in your inventory a long time if they're not convenient to complete right away or you have to go to a different, completely different area to, um, in order to turn them in. You know, the one that comes to mind is um, there was a quest where you grabbed a, a vial of pure water from Goldberry in the old forest at one point and you had to go into Gartha Garwin and pour it into the um, the inner sanctum of the you know of the red maid in order to purify it and uh, you know I'd always get that quest and that vial of pure water would sit and sit in my inventory for like 10 20 levels before I'd finally remember to delete it so all right so the next type of quest um, riddle quests or sorting quests you know good examples of these are the Moria twist tongue riddles which I just talked about in the last episode. Um, another one that comes to mind, I think there's um, there's a quest to sort a number of relics in Even Dim at uh, Tinadir. Um, so these kind of quests, you know, I, I I think are really good. They they provide variety. They provide challenge. You know, who doesn't love a good puzzle? Um, the bad time is they they probably take longer to develop, so we don't see as many of them in game as I would like. 
And of course, once you've done them once, the replay, replay value is not quite as good, um, having to figure out the answer a second or third time. Uh, but I do like when they sprinkle these in. The next quest type, session play, uh, often featuring branching. So what do I mean by branching? I'll take an example. Um, when we're doing the instance in Dull Amroth, where we have to talk to the uh, the princess, and she asks us to go onto the pirate ship and talk to Azrathor or whatever the pirate's name is, and uh, you know you have to tell her whether she should go to the ship or you think you should do it, and it it gives you options in the dialogue to pick, you know what you think you should recommend, right? And based on what you choose, there's usually different text that you can review and read. You know the NPCs act in different ways. And another example of this is when you capture Mazog in the throne room in Rushduranel, and the elves and dwarves are bickering about whether um, you know Mazog should be killed immediately or whether he should be ransomed to uh, to Gorothal to uh, try to negotiate the return of Bori. Um, and they ask you what your opinion is, and you give it, and so forth. So, um, you know. I like the fact that as you play through with multiple tunes, first of all, there's uh, you know different values that you can select and you can get different reactions to see different text. And I think these type of branching things kind of get you, uh, you know, help immersion. They get you involved in the quest line and text line more so than you would from a typical quest. The bad part is um, there, you know, these... These types of branching quests are, are too complex typically to build in long-term consequences in the game. Um, so that makes it a little too labor-intensive for area questing in general. But generally, you'll see them with the epic quest line and maybe a few others. You know, what you'll find is that uh, depending on what you say, the NPC will react a different way. But, um, you know, in the end, the choice may not make a difference. If you if you say, I think we should slay Mazog, Bori will go, no, I can't. I have to say Bori. And if you say, we should trade him for Bori, the guy will go, yeah, that's a great idea. We'll do that. So, you know, and that's the end of kind of the branching logic. <laughs> um, there are a couple that have some longer term consequences, uh, but uh, but not many because uh, those are difficult to, um, you know, maintain kind of as a data point in the in the database that, uh, you know, triggers different behaviors around the game. You know, there's there's things that uh, are triggered that way around race and around your guardian, uh, around your class and things like that. But each individual choice, for an instance, they can't pile up too many of those that they have to keep track of. Um, although, obviously, choosing the horse Erebrander's horseshoe as a reward can have far-reaching impacts within the game. Change your entire experience. Guys, I'm just kidding. I know there's some people that start to see red when you talk about the horseshoe thing. Don't worry. Not a big deal. Although, the character says, I don't have it. I've always regretted it. Um, what other types of quests we have? Well, um, often the quests will ask you to tr trigger a skirmish or, um, or even a big battle in order to proceed. So the good part about skirmishes as you know, incorporating them as part of the quest line, either epic quest line or other, is that they're challenging and they're repeatable and uh, it's complex content. Um, with new environments, new bosses, uh, new, new mechanics in some cases. The bad part is some people don't like skirms, um, you know, especially if you can fail them like you can the 21st hall at the very end and have to do it over and over again. That could be annoying, but generally speaking, adding this kind of complex content in the game is positive. Um, some quests and in instances, uh, either you know, the, 
from the instance panel are just individual individual sessions or instances uh, that are solo within the game or even big battles. So here's an example of one that's not an actual instance in the game. Um, there's a quest where in the Trollshaws at Garbert's Cottage where you can trigger a little solo instance where you get to see Gollum slinking along and stealing fish from a window and you get involved in trying to chase him down and it's uh, it's exciting stuff. That's that's neat. That's you know goes beyond the average kill and gather quest in the landscape. I love it when we see that type of um, that type of storytelling embedded. Um, you know, another one that comes to mind is in Forakel when you're trying to uh, uh, you know play marriage broker between uh, you know one of the uh, one of the Lossoth and his intended bride. That's uh, got kind of an amusing ending to it as well. Um, and then there's, uh, you know, actual instances or big battles that are, like, for example, um, as I mentioned, my Bjorning about to do the Waterworks and the Mirror Halls as part of the epic quest line are obviously big battles that have to be completed in Helm's Deep. Um, so these, again, challenging and repeatable uh, to add value in the long term. On the bad side, some don't like these instances, and if they're required to be done, that can get old if you have a lot of alts that have to go through them. Uh, at the very least, they removed the requirement to have to do them in groups, which uh, was a big hang-up for a lot of folks. Um, last type of major quest category I wanted to talk about were epic quests. And epic quests uh, can take the shape of all the things that we've talked about to date. Uh, what, what separates epic quests is, um, you know, they typically reflect the appropriate, appropriate level of effort to make them unique as is appropriate. Uh, so typically they're more involved, they're higher quality, they have better storytelling. Um, you know, from a negative side, obviously they're resource intensive and um, they're less and less choice for alts. Uh, as you move through the epic quest line, you know, you're, you're forced to grind it through if you want the epic quest rewards and that can get old with repetition. Uh, so are there other types of quests in the game? Yeah, there there are others. They, they sort of fit into some of these categories. Some of them are kind of unique. All these other ones are good. Um, they add variety and keeps uh, keep things interesting. Some some examples of other quest types that don't feel fit neatly into some of these. Um, so there's a quest in uh, Enidwaith where you have to kill a number of orcs uh, to to have a contest with known as Dad Civilche. And, you know, in effect, this is a kill quest, but the fact that he doesn't tell you how many you have to kill makes it more interesting than a typical kill quest. Do I just kill one? Do I kill ten? Do I kill twenty? And I've tried all three with different alts just to get the different reactions that you can get out of them. Um, quests that interact with items, like say you have to uh, pick up a torch and burn stuff, or you have to pick up some water and extinguish stuff in the environment. So adding those extra mechanics can make things more interesting. Um, there's a great quest I love in Even Dim where you have to start a fight between giants by randomly throwing rocks at them. Um, there's one really close by as well in the same area where you have to pour a potion into a giant's cauldron and watch the NPC's reaction as the vapors fill the air around, which is very amusing. How about the quest to find a boar in Even Dim for our, folk, our friend Hal Porkchop, whatever his name is? Uh, find a black rider at night in the Shire. Shine a light at the end of a troll tunnel. Play a riddle game in Rivendell. Um, these are all great examples of quests that have a bit of uniqueness to them, which, uh, which is always welcome. 
Then there are quests, perhaps some of my favorite quests in the game are some of the linked quests that kind of shape and give connection to different areas in the game. For example, within Moria, finding the different pieces of the statue of Helgi Goblin Bane. You know, there's one basically in every major area of the game. And once you've got them all together and put the statue together, there's a sense of accomplishment that as you've moved through these different areas, you found all these pieces and you reunited them. Um, the quest, you know, perhaps one of the most epic quests in the game, to search Evendim for the treasure buried under the marker at the crossroad of the kings. That takes you all over the zone and back and involves you with a number of different quest area hubs in order to finally complete it. Uh, the quest for the Seven Swords in Angmar. Uh, you know, you have to find all the different locations. You have to bring all the swords to Nethraw and it opens up a mini instance in the game. Uh, you know, an awesome, awesome quest line, although that final instance can be very difficult to finish <laughs> on level. Um, you know, there aren't as many of these types of quests in Rohan, but one example might be the Monsters and Madness quest they added in, in Western Rohan. Uh, you know, it gave a little bit of a motivation to do some grouping, even if it was just for a title. And, uh, you know, it had uh, objectives in three different areas. So this is a lesser example, a little bit of a cop-out, but at least they're trying. Um, oh, the other one that comes to mind that, uh, you know, one of the great quest lines of Forakel is to help out all the different members of the Lost Fellowship. And uh, if you do and you, you finally finish that off, you get a nice title, and uh, I think there's a virtue that's associated with it and a nice reward as well uh, to kind of complete that storyline. Um, so, uh, you know, that one I thought was well done. And there's kind of a mini version of that one um, in the East Wall of uh, Eastern Rohan as well that uh, you know that kind of pulls the zone together so I, I love when they did that in the old shadows of Angmar days and even in Moria and uh, I wish they'd do more of it in the current zones um, so that we could see uh, a little bit more of that I really think it does uh, pull the areas together and give them kind of cohesion so in general you know I think solo quests are really the lifeblood of the game um, you know there are niche people that PVMP there are niche people that raid it's people that like to do group content, but everybody does solo quests. And I think more time needs to be spent enhancing the repertoire of options to keep the game fresh. So the developers I've seen over time have done some experimentation with this, uh, but I feel like it needs constant focus. Each new region should have some kind of new quest type that you haven't seen before, and they should constantly be trying to, you know, if they evolve the tech in one dimension that adds a new quest type to the game for a region, um, you know, I think... That, that alone will help spice up the game over time and give it additional variety. Um, what are ideas for this? So this is more difficult. You know, I don't play a lot of different MMOs, so I don't have as many examples. But I, th I think generally it's more entertaining when there are kind of real-world impacts beyond, beyond just aggroing mobs and fighting. You know, I like it when NPCs react or interact with each other based on your actions in the game. So, you know, maybe you click on something and a guy comes out of a door and walks over and picks it up and walks away or things along those lines. Um, you know, another one that comes to mind, you know, instead of just fighting mobs, what if you had to lure them into traps because they were too powerful for you to fight individually? Uh, for example, the Deadfall quest in Moria in the... Um, in the Silver Teen loads where you have to arm a trap and then uh, lure a guy over into it and the trap falls in him and he passes away and that fulfills the quest. Didn't have to fight him and it was different. Um, 
what if you introduced you know some areas where you had to do competitions or racing with NPCs to uh, to do objectives, either some kind of jumping or um, collecting or even fighting who can get to the end of ten mobs quicker or get through a certain number of hoops quicker. You know, they do that a little bit with horse racing here and there. They did uh, one example of it was uh, we had a race with Mazog in the swamp for the Epic Quest line in Mirkwood. Uh, which was kind of fun, but they could do more stuff closer to that that I think would be interesting. Um, you know, maybe for a particular quest, you could uh, you know be asked to avoid detection and stealth through an area, kind of like you do in um, in the Redhorn Loads. Uh, again, an epic quest where you you're uh, helping Bori through an area by sneaking past mobs and waving to him when it's clear. So th these are all things, you know, that I think add variety to the game and a little spice of life. But perhaps most importantly, you know, weave them into the lore at least a good story when you can. You know, finding and killing an elite orc in a random camp is not nearly as cool as killing a messenger that espied the fellowship climbing Caradress before he can get back to, you know, his camp to let them know. Or locating Golub's cave uh, for Bilbo in Rivendell or finding Gandalf's hat in the Foundations of Stone. Those are the kinds of quests in the game that you don't forget. Well, that brings us to the end of the road tonight. We are at Halifirian. It's time for Blessed Relief. That brings us to the end of the 20th episode of Light the Beacons. I'd love to hear your plaudits, feedback, rants, diatribes, and most of all, your constructive critique. Please talk to me. <laughs> I'm getting lonely in here only talking to Grima. You can contact me at bragsonofbalan at gmail.com. That's brag with two A's. The second A stands for how accurate I am. On Facebook or Twitter at bragsonofbalan, my website, lightthebeacons.com, where you can post your comments directly on the podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, I kindly request you take the time to create a review on iTunes. If perchance you're so inclined, I would very much appreciate it. have not seen one of these in quite some time. Be the one to break the mold. If your comments incite me to forego my dwarven apathy, I'll try to include them in the next podcast or at least respond in some way. So I hope you either laughed at or with me. I hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before, perhaps looked at the game with a slightly different perspective. And most of all, I hope you enjoy your week in Middle-earth. This is Bragg, the son of Balin, signing off. Baruch Kazat. And remember, the next time you kill ten rats or bats, or boars or bears or orcs or trolls upon the grand stairs... You collect ten plants or nails or even puppy dog tails or escort an old goat who fails and fails or carry a bucket that is quickly leaking. Try not to spare and instead light the beacons. All right, Grima, climb inside this thing. I got this fulcrum and lever on a count of three. I'll push and you'll get rolling. Ready? One. <laughs> Look at him go. <laughs> Uh, uh, watch, watch out for that precipice. Oh, gutter ball. Uh, I guess he's working on the blind leaper title. See you folks. Enjoy. <laughs>